what I always say, digital age is an opportunity to not reproduce the same practices that marginalized women from this offline space. Let's not reproduce the same practices for the digital space. It's an opportunity to stop some practices and to better our women and minorities to have a better representativity in the digital space. Welcome to Between the Binary, a limited series podcast highlighting the priorities, prospects, and challenges of technology in the Global South through the voices of experts in and from the Global South. This podcast is curated for the John H. MacArthur Research Fellowship Program in cooperation with the Asia-Pacific Foundation of Canada. I'm Elena Noor, one of the two inaugural MacArthur Fellows and your host for this series. Hello, everyone. In this episode, I'm excited to be speaking to Imen Redui, who works at the intersection between behavioral science and technology. Iman was advisor to the Cabinet Office of the Ministry of Communication Technologies and Digital Transformation in Tunisia, leading the eGov tech component in partnership with the President's Office. Iman is founder of the GovTech startup, the Behavioral Science Design Lab, which is dedicated to supporting the policy transformation process using evidence-based research in behavioral science and technology. But amongst other things, amongst other many things, she is also co-founder of the African Women Leadership Network, AWLN Tunisia, a joint initiative between UN Women and the African Union to promote women's leadership and inclusive values to meet the UN's SDG Agenda 2030 and 2063 across the African continent. Iman, welcome. So much to dig into, but let's start with your professional background. Uh, tell us what you've been up to recently. Thank you, Elina, for the introduction. I'm happy to take part to the podcast today. So uh, I'm Imen Rediwi and uh, I'm a psychological researcher who have been working on applying psychology, uh, behavioral science and psychology to the public policy and policy transformation sphere. So throughout my recent experience as uh, advisor to the cabinet office and working on the digital transformation by supporting them in building the eGov uh, portfolio, I'm actually also working as uh, expert with the United Nations University eGov in, uh, based in Guimaraes, Portugal, and supporting the Saudi Arabia, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, Digital Government Authority, and the, supporting them in the digital transformation also. So that's my new hat. And uh, I am happy to share today part of this journey of building and bringing together two fields of sciences like uncommon psychology, behavioral science and policy transformation. And speaking about how this served in transforming and building a transition in Tunisia and also in building a transition to the, what I call a technological transition and what I prefer to call rather than digital transformation. <laughs> I see it like a journey and I see it as a process. And how I started this is, um, as we all know, especially in the context of Tunisia, uh, we have been working on transforming policy and policy reform during the democratic transition. So the legal reform and the policy framework have been sort of panacea 
that were supposed to support any change initiatives. So when I came to the cabinet office, my role was to help implement the governmental decree 777 that was supposed to support <laughs> to support the digital transformation, especially in a post-recovery and also COVID management crisis where we have noticed the government struggle and the government, uh, this emerging citizen needs for more services and digital services and to support them with uh, improving the quality of uh, service and also the quality of well-being, especially during the pandemic management. So this experience of uh, knowing and understanding how we can deliver better social protection services, especially was one of the eye-opening experience where we have seen like uh, we have in order to work on policy transformation project, we need this involvement technologies. We needed also to consider more human-centered design in policy and with better human and behavioral lenses to explore this subject. So it's not only about operationalizing a governmental decree, but also looking and auditing the behavioral factors embedded in the technological uptake of citizens and the technological acceptance of practitioners and public sector workers in delivering and dealing with technology. And of course, when this question came to the table, we dealing about trust as value, trust in technology and trust among government organization. And this is how we came to my subject of predilection, what I call the interoperability system, which is what was one of the main and core part of my mission is to work on to build in more better information sharing system known as interoperability system, which is like the backbone to build an e-gov and building a digital government service uh, deployment. And the, this technology of information sharing system is allowing government organization and government bodies and entities to be able to share information and data among each other. And also promoting information and the new role of these agencies and this organization as being now known as data users, but also as data providers. And when it comes to the situation of what is the value, added value of a psychologist in this, uh, let's say, tech-dominated world. <laughs> so uh, the idea of working on not and shifting the focus of government from the infrastructural barriers that was commonly perceived as the only and the main barrier to implementing and to the uptake and acceptance of technology, we have been doing a behavioral auditing that allowed us to understand better and make a better anal analysis of public servant, a public sector uh, behavioral factor and social factors that hinders the users of data, the reluctancy to sh sharing information and sharing data sets, but also the change resistance. It's the common factor that any organization, uh, organization face when it comes to change. So uh, we have introduced a sort of a gamified process like using games and using uh, inspired and informed by behavioral insight that help it build sort of what we call the interoperability simulator. It's an offline platform that allows public servants a public administrator to surf and play with their data and also visualize how their data has been treated, how their data set are shared, and to, let's say, unveil the shame of having good 
between bracketed data on not uh, good data sets and also uh, working also about not jeopardizing the data qualities. For example, some ministries like the finance ministry, they, they have this perception and belief of having maybe more important data than the environmental ministry. And uh, the idea of bringing all this information together that can be useful to make them work together towards the same common goal of providing a good quality of services and good quality of e-services. So this is, was one of the main factors where we were involved to work, but we also worked and accompanied the National Agency for Security, Information Security, the National Agency for Certification, which are agencies that work together also to build the standardized quality of services. So this contributes in providing a better uh, service and better service offer. Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, I love this idea of interoperability and um, particularly the interoperability between human behavior and just humans in general with technology, because we often forget about this human component, right, when talking about technology. And you bring to bear such a rich background uh, based on your own professional experiences in the past, working on migrant issues, working on gender, clinical psychology, so many of those experiences, I think, only have helped to really underline the importance of the human element in technology. How do you think Tunisia is positioned to meet this challenge in the digital world, this intersection between the human component and the digital component? What are the top three challenges you think should be addressed in the next five to 10 years? I think as a part of the global national digital strategy in Tunisia for the upcoming 2025 uh, defined one of the key key priority is digital inclusion. And when digital inclusion comes as a cross-cutting component to the five key pillar priorities for digital transformation in Tunisia, and that are like the building digital capacity through supporting digital literacy and supporting education, education to STEM, promoting more girls and women's more into the STEM literacy and promoting their presence in the the education and access to the science and technology, and also building digital capacities of also public sectors and public uh, skilled manpower to deal with the digital uh, market. And uh, the second pillar and priority is around also digital platform and developing more and better accessible digital platforms including government platforms like for e-services and for that also digital inclusion is present because this platform must be sort of adapted domesticated to the needs of all users including a wide range of integration for services even for persons with disabilities women people with low tech technological literacy and this new form of emerging vulnerabilities with the, the tech and the third pillar would be around uh, also linked to the digital financial inclusion. So this implies supporting e-payment methods and mobile payment methods and also accessing to formal and banks and formal financial payment methods. And for that, it's not inclusion appears why it's cutting because we have also the same usual suspect of marginalized communities 
who are often marginalized in the offline world, let's say, of financial access, and that are, by consequence, marginalized also from accessing to a mobile bank account, an online bank account, or online payment facilities. And fourth, which is the main subject that we can develop better later, is the digital infrastructure, which means access to internet, affordability of internet, functionality, efficiencies, and networks like 5G and uh, national clouds and cybersecurity. And for that also, digital inclusion appears to be one of the preeminent aspects is like how these vulnerable groups can benefit or have access to affordable access to internet, but also handling this equation like having strong tech security while using internet and uh, not being left behind because their lack of digital security literacy or being more exposed to more security infringement in the cyberspace. And fifth, which is the final aspect, is uh, investment in technology and digital entrepreneurship, where Tunisia, I think, is fixing its priority for the upcoming five, ten years by building this ecosystem and for startups and for uh, research and development, supporting innovation systems through universities, education, but also through supporting more startup ecosystem that can allow build a national innovation digital market that can be more contextualized, let's say, for the Tunisian market. And I will, I will develop later about how some startups have been working on nationalizing technology, like how to use access to Tunisian dialect, AI, uh, inclusion, and all that. So many of these challenges are so similar in the developing world and the global south. I recognize some of these challenges in my own region in Southeast Asia too. And obviously, it takes partnership, it takes cooperation and support with others around you. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how Tunisia is working with neighboring countries on the African continent or, or as well as with the world's you know, major tech players to advance this digital agenda and address some of these challenges that you've outlined? So uh, Tunisia has been uh, developing and working, especially 2020 had been uh, a year where uh, the inaugurated 5G era. So Tunisia was tackling the subject of uh, how to deal with building and 5G infrastructure with, of course, international actors and regional actors like the national champion Huawei, who has been a leading actor in uh, building telecommunication infrastructure and uh, also working with other regional and uh, international actors in working on how to define these choices on going into this high new era, a new fifth generation of internet through the 5G implementation, but also handling the regulatory framework for it. And of course, if we want to make this jump into the new era, I think there are some considerations that Tunisia is not aside or not behind uh, this geostrategical tactedis trap of, <laughs> of using technology and the technological giants. And 
Tunisia have been, uh, of course, working on investing, especially on cybersecurity governance, because building on reliable infrastructure system requires also a reflection on working on the cybersecurity governance and the reflection on how to have the proper institution like national agency for security or national agencies or think tanks who can build together a policy or regulation form for building a data sovereignty or uh, working towards their strategy for building and governing data centers and building national clouds or building how to deal with their data and data ownership and data sovereignty. And I think this is it's an equation that say where we, we it's a geostrategical choice, but it implies also working and investing in uh, defining policy, uh, cybersecurity and uh, government sovereignty about data and defining it in a way that each government have its agency. And of course, in uh, references of what, for example, the 5G toolkit with the EU or this clean tech network, these are like standardized form, but I think each government has to think its own and build its own reflection, inspired and standardized, of course, that support and underline his choices for building his new generation for its infrastructure. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Also, one of those enduring challenges and, and uh, challenges for um, developing countries caught in the middle. Um, you mentioned local dialects and AI in Tunisia. Let's talk a little bit about that, about indigeneity in technology. How is Tunisia localizing technology and making it its own to advance digital inclusion, usability, and access? So, uh, for example, I think that there are two leading startups in Tunisia who have taken the challenge of the InstaDeep and iCompass who have been developing sort of uh, NLP, natural language processing in uh, for uh, Tunisian dialect, knowing that Tunisian dialect is not Arabic, it's uh, part of a dialect. And through this innovative step, this would be very um, inclusive for technology users, especially for Tunisia, because it's able to detect a better sentiment analysis for some app, uh, detecting the language, detecting the Q&A question and answer, which is inclusive and in somehow to bring this language into the technological world and make it more accessible and make a better use of facilities. It's a new step, it just happened last year in June 2021 with these two startups, but I think it's a small step, but it's building incrementally towards bringing more inclusive, especially a reflection about AI and technology. Yeah, it's so important to have that local element, right, to technology, because we often think of technology as global, but then when it comes to usability and user-friendliness, everything really has to be focused on, as you mentioned in the beginning, the human and individual elements of technology. And so I, I, this localization of technology is such a fascinating topic to me. I want to round up the same way we began this conversation, and, um, but talking a little bit more about the personal side of your professional experience. So you're a woman from the, the African continent, actively contributing to tech. 
What are your hopes for the role of women in the global South, in the digital age over the next 10 to 20 years? What I always say, digital age is an opportunity to not reproduce the same practices that marginalized women, let's say from this offline space, let's not reproduce the same practices for the digital space. It's an opportunity to, to stop some practices and to better power women and minorities to have a better use, access, and representativity in the digital space. And I think the real challenge here is built on supporting women access to STEM in education. It's the backbone, but also in reinforcing women in the innovation ecosystem, women presence and leadership in the tech uh, industries also. And that's through allowing women to access better way to financing their innovation project, getting into acceleration round or startup ecosystem, women in the startup uh, world. And for that, I think this is crucial to get more the visibility, but also to have more technology designed also to address this emerging challenges that we face in the cybers or in the digital space. So it's not only about a quota or a number, but also it's a contextualization of what we are experiencing in this new space. And also maybe investing in more this intermediate roles, what we in this digital role, because we have been leading this reflection by thinking about the digital space, but there are new emerging legal cases, legal framework, new sort of human right infringement or violation in the cyberspace also. And sometimes we lack this use cases and we lack this knowledge how to address them and we don't know how to deal with and to govern and to settle the framework, legal framework to address this, for example. And for that, maybe we need more intersection, more interdisciplinary work in between the spheres of disciplines like building, for example, legal glossaries for emerging cases, for example, new human right infringement in the digital space. Because the battle today is not only about, before it was, for example, uh, access to information or the right to, to information access. But today it's more in emerging uh, use cases, like uh, it's how to deal with data, privacy, how to protect, how to even practice your agency over your own information and your own data. And these are emerging subjects that we never dealt with this before. And it's, we are in need in this bridging, this disciplines, bringing, uh, reaching the gap between this digital world and the other like legal tech and other spheres of knowledge that should also get into this chain, value chain and understand together and work together. And also maybe to abandon this dichotomy of offline and online, because I think it's not a separation, it's a transition, it's incremental. So if we keep like, okay, we tackle cyber criminality, oh, this is what happened in violence against women in offline, how we do, will do, deal with this in the digital space. But maybe to look at that in sort of continuum and incremental and see how we can adapt what we have and also innovate and also build up on this emerging cases and think together and um, allow also data sharing because the more we share cases 
that will, it allows us to address this new infringement or let's say this new cases and allow other government or other institution how to support an international NGO to work together and to support each other on that subject. So this is the, where I will see in the future, like more regional, more intergovernmental, and more cross-cutting and sharing. Okay? Yeah. Iman, thank you so much for bridging some of those gaps for us today. And importantly, for recentering our focus on technology back to the human being, back to human agency. Mm -hmm. um, some of what you've said, a lot of what you've said has been really thought-provoking. And I'm sure we all look forward to more of your work and to seeing more of you and your work on the center stage representing not just women, but also women in the global south. And we hear so little about North Africa sometimes. Um, so pleased to have you on this podcast, sharing your time and chatting with us about these intersections of technology and humanity. Thank you, Elina, for the questions and the exciting dialogue also. It was a pleasure to share and exchange on that. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and found the conversation useful. This podcast series is made possible by the John H. MacArthur Research Fellowship in cooperation with the Asia-Pacific Foundation of Canada, Canada's leading think tank on Canada-Asia relations. To learn more about the fellowship or the foundation, be sure to visit asiapacific.ca.